Uh, we've been in a series called Relationships, A Glorious Mess. And uh, Richard has been marching through uh, things about marriage and how to find the right mate. And this morning, we have the privilege of diving into this idea of singleness. Singleness. Uh, if you're single, why don't you just, can you just raise your hand? Alright, alright, see, look, that's a good amount of people. Fellas, I just did the majority of work for you. Okay? Alright, so, uh, alright, go to work, you know. Uh, no, I'm just joking. Kind of, kind of joking. Um, <laughs> no, that's, uh, I'm just joking. <laughs> right, right. Uh, for our married folks, for our married folks, uh, don't check out on me. If you love our singles, you will not check out on me. If you want to be able to give our singles wise counsel, you will not check out on me. If you have kids who will one day become singles as you might dread, um, you will not check out on me. So hang in there with me. Uh, this is hopefully going to be some good stuff for us. And plus, you know, us singles, we deal with married sermons all the time. So now this is our time to shine. That's right. So, um, but before we jump in, uh, I want to show you this little clip about um, what people in Memphis are saying about singleness. So check this clip out. As I was doing some research, man, y'all won't believe some of the stuff I found about singleness and dating and things like that. Uh, But I want to show you uh, some statistics uh, ten things men judge women on most. Alright, can you see that? Um, so, 58% of men judge women on teeth. Okay? Teeth, all the dentists say amen. Uh, the one dentist. <laughs> uh, 55% on grammar. Man, man, man. Um, and uh, we, ha- we have some 18% of, m- of men judge women on shoes. That's interesting. Or the car you drive, the electronic devices you have. Can you believe this? This is interesting stuff. Uh, Let's go to the next one. Ten things women judge men on the most. Teeth, 71%. So brothers, if you've been having a hard time, you know, get your grill fixed. Um, 69% of women judge brothers on grammar. On grammar, okay? Uh, and also, you got the electronics in there. You have clothes, 58%. Man, I ain't saying she a gold digger, but uh, 58% of women judge men on clothes. That's interesting. Let's go to the next one. Top must-haves in a relationship, all right? Top must-haves. So for men, uh, 63% of men says it has to be someone I can trust and confide in. About 84% of women say, treats me with respect. He has to treat me with some respect. 57% of men say, she has to treat me with respect. While 77% of women say, he has to be someone I can trust and confide in. Then here's where things get a little different. So 40% of men say, man, she's got to be physically attractive. You know, while 58% of women say has to have a sense of humor, I don't even see attraction on the women's side at all, which kind of blows my mind. Um, but I think that 40% is kind of low for men. Uh, brothers, you can be honest. I think that's kind of low. But I just thought those were, <laughs> I just thought those were very interesting. 
some interesting things. So if you have your Bible, read. Uh, uh, we can look at 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 28. So we've, we get an idea of what the world says. We get an idea of just random folks in our city, what they've said about singleness and the value of singleness. But we also get to have a picture of what the Bible says. Okay? First um, Corinthians chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one around you. You can pull out your iPhone or whatever you need. Verse 25. And I'll go to verse 38, actually. Here now the words of the Lord. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about the worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are, get this, divided. And the unmarried, our betrothed woman, is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in the body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly uh, toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Those are the very words of God. Amen? Amen. So if you um, invited me to your house for dinner... Uh, there's a slim chance that I would say no, slim to none, uh, because I like to eat. So if you invited me to your house for dinner, uh, chances are I would willingly come over. I would sit at your table. You'd probably put the spread out, right? There'd probably be meats and casseroles, and there'll probably be some veggies, and there'll probably be desserts. You'll probably put the spread out. There'll be nice drinks and things like that, right? So I'm sitting at your table. And man, you pass me the casserole, I'm like, mm, that's right. You pass me the meat, yes, I'm ready to get all in it. But you pass me those veggies, and you might get offended, because I'm going to pass them right by. And you know what, some of y'all are laughing, looking at me like I'm crazy, but you know, I don't know what it is, veggies just don't quite sit well with me. So I pass them by. I go right to the desserts. I want the dessert. You know, you give me that banana pudding. You give me the sweet potato pie. You give me that peach cobbler. It's right 
up my alley. I'm excited about it. But the veggies, i got to pass it by. But you know what? The vegetables have nutrients. They are good for us. They help us to grow big and strong. And we need them to be healthy and to be strong. We need them. But me, I'll probably just pass them right by. And when we come to our text, I think one of the things that we'll see this morning is that same reality that many of us as singles, we attempt to literally proverbially pass by our singleness without taking the benefit of the nutrients right in. We want to pass by singleness um, because we're, we're bored with it uh, or we're lonely, whatever the reason may be. But we want to just pass it by when Paul is saying there's nutrients there. There's some good stuff there. You need it to grow healthy and big and strong. There's some good stuff in there. You don't want to miss out on it. You need it. So Paul is telling us one of the things he's telling us this morning. I want to speak from the subject single and ready to mingle. But before we jump in, let's pray. Great God, thank you just... For how you created us. Father, thank you that you created us for, for you before anything else. Thank you that that relationship with you ought to be the most primary thing in our minds. But so often, God, it's not. So for, would you help us, Father, to refocus our thoughts, to refocus our views this morning. Draw our hearts closer to you. Father, I pray that you would allow me to decrease as John the Baptist prayed, that you may increase in me. Lord God, we need you to have your way this morning. Father, my church doesn't need to hear my mere words, but we need to hear from you. We need a word from you, O oh God. So, would you please bless us with just that. And we'll be faithful to give you the praise and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I love about this text is that Paul is basically responding to the church of Corinth. And I love this because, you see, Paul is responding to the church of Corinth. So obviously the church of Corinth has written Paul a letter and they said, Paul, we are struggling with singleness. Should we get married or should we not? How can we best handle singleness? And Paul writes them a letter back. So what this tells me is that the struggles I've had in my own singleness, the struggles that I know you guys have had, because I've talked to some of you, are nothing new. This is nothing new. This is nothing new because the church of Corinth, they're struggling with some of the same things. They're wondering, how can I best handle singleness? How do I handle loneliness that I feel? How do I deal with this? Should I get married? When's the best time? How do I handle this, Paul? And Paul addresses these things for them. A lot of the times we hear teaching on singleness and it's usually along the lines of how to cope with singleness. As if singleness isn't normal, right? Uh, And it's certainly not desirable. I don't think that's what Paul is going for here. Paul takes a different look on it, and I love how he does it. Look at 1 Corinthians seven seventeen with me. This isn't a part of our passage, but it's our immediate in our immediate context, and I think it's very helpful for us. It says this: 
Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. And what, what I love about this is Paul says God has assigned. God has called. And so what Paul is saying is he's setting things up to, to let us know even as singles that God has assigned, that God has called you to a certain season. Now walk it out. He's called you. He's assigned. Let me just say this. If you are not married, if you are not engaged, you're single. You may be in a serious relationship. It could end like that tomorrow. You are single. I'm talking to you. So don't be like, oh, he ain't talking to me. I got my man. I'm... Nah, I'm talking to you too. You're, you're, you're single. Paul says God has called us. God has assigned us. So for the single person here today, God has called you. God has assigned you to a season of singleness. And you have a responsibility to walk it out. There's many normal questions run through our minds like, when will my time for marriage come? Uh, will I be single forever? What can I do about my loneliness? Does God even care about this kind of stuff? And let me reaffirm you, He cares. He cares, He knows, and He sees. If God didn't care, Paul would have not been inspired to write this to the church of Corinth. See, God exists outside of time, and He knew that we would be at this point in our lives where we're wrestling, maybe even late at night when we have hard nights and we want to be with somebody, God knew. And He cares. He loves us enough to give us some wisdom and some direction. Paul starts this thing out by saying, this isn't law. He says, this isn't law. But I'll tell you what I think, Paul says. He's basically saying, I'll give you, Church of Corinth, my opinion on things. Here's my thoughts, Paul says, on singleness. First, Paul says, one of the benefits of singleness is that there is a lighter burden to carry in hard times. Look at verse 26 with me. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Or you, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed or a virgin woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And all the married people said amen, right? <laughs> those who marry will have worldly troubles. Amen. And I would spare you that, Paul says. See, Paul, no. He knows all too well that Christians had been arrested, beaten, and killed because of the gospel. Paul knows that Christians have gone through some hard, hard times in antiquity. And I think Paul has a sense that what's, of what's about to happen in Nero's uh, reign. Ten years after Paul is writing this letter, this guy by the name of Nero, this emperor comes, and he perfects persecution against believers. He perfects it. He does things like uh, put them, puts believers in nice clothes, dips them in wax, 
puts them on a tree in his garden and sets them on fire to light the place up. He perfects persecution. And Paul has this in his mind. And so I think what Paul is directing us to is the reality that outside of marriage, you're able to handle more. So imagine a guy who's being persecuted in antiquity in Paul's day. A married man who's being afflicted or who's, who's facing death because of his faith, right? Imagine this man being persecuted. And imagine this same man having a wife at home. Imagine the same man having children to think about, having a family that he's concerned with. What a heavy burden. But the single person who does not have a husband or a wife to care for, the single person who does not have all of those responsibilities that the married person has, the single person has the ability to carry those burdens and to suffer well. So what Paul is saying is, there is blessing in singleness. There's blessing in singleness. Don't try to skip past it, because there's blessing there. He's saying, singleness is not a curse. It's a blessing. I remember moving back to Memphis, um, moving to Memphis for the first time in 2007. And uh, it was a crazy time in my world, having to make decisions after I graduated from college, and I loaded up my car, and I, and I drove four and a half hours saying goodbye to my family, uh, my mother and my siblings, my 12 nieces and nephews. Um, I loaded the ride, and I headed to Memphis. Get this. I didn't know where I was going to work. Um, I didn't know uh, where I was going to live. I knew I was going to have a place to stay, but I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know anything. I had a car load full of stuff, and I was moving four and a half hours away from home, single. The burden was lighter. The freedom was there to to move as I pleased. But for the married person, that's not there. Hear me say this. What Paul is not doing is devaluing marriage. He's not How do you know that, Chris? Over and over again in the Pauline epistles, you see Paul exalting marriage. You look at Ephesians 5 and you will see a beautiful picture of what Paul thinks marriage is. Paul's not devaluing marriage. What he's doing is he's saying, wait a minute now, singles. Don't you ever let anybody look down upon you. You don't think that you are lesser than. Don't believe that lie. Because there's benefits to singleness. The burden is lighter. Here I am. I was 22 years old then. And I had the freedom to move four and a half hours away from home. Didn't know exactly where I would work. Didn't know exactly where I would stay. But I had the freedom to do it. If I was a married man, there is no possible way that would be the case. So Paul says, you know, you know what? You have the freedom. There's benefits to it. See, the Corinthian church is asking Paul about their loneliness and whether it's okay for them to desire marriage. And Paul's message to singles is to remember the difference between the temporal or the temporary and the eternal. 
Paul says, remember, there are some things that are temporary and there are some things that are eternal. Look at verse 29 with me. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. Then get this, for the present form of this world is passing away. Paul sends a news flash to singles. He says, your desire for marriage is not sinful, no, but you need to maintain an eternal perspective at all times. You need to know that the things that you pursue on this earth, they are passing away, friends. Paul is saying, singles, live in reckless abandonment as you understand that nothing on this earth will last forever, not even the husband or the wife relationship. Nothing will last forever. So you ought to live in reckless abandonment for the kingdom. So singles, you you have the freedom, yes. Take the mission trip, yes. Buy the house, yes. Uh, uh, Work for a promotion in the job. Not for yourself and not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of the kingdom. Singles, yeah, you got, maybe you have a little extra to, to give away. And to sow into the kingdom. Whether that be time, talents, or treasures. Paul says, you sow into what's eternal and not what's temporary. There's a difference between the eternal and the temporary. Paul echoes the same sentiments in Colossians 3, 2. Look at it with me. He says this. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Even in 1 John 2, uh, verse 15 and 17, look at it with me. He says this, Do not love the world or even the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Here we see the constant fight. To move our desires from the things of the world to the things of God. So the fight for the single person ought not to be how long will this last. That's not your fight. But how consistently can I set my mind on the things, on, not on the things of this earth, but the things that are above. How consistently can I set my mind on the things above and not the things on this earth? Hear me say, I'm not saying that having a deep desire for marriage is not okay. I'm not saying that. Paul says it very clearly. Want to get married? That's a good thing. But he's saying, have your affections on the things above and not on the things that are only temporary. So if you're like me, this is easier said than done, right? It's definitely easier said than done when you're around married folk. Alright? So married folk, um, it usually starts a little bit like this. Um, So, uh, Chris, uh, I have this friend. I'm like, oh, really? After I give them the side eye. So I have this friend, and then it kind of goes like this. But she's really cute. Oh, really? She's really cute. That's all I need. Well, let me just, you know, 
let me just hire her. Um, but she's really cute. Or, you know, it's, it's my mother. Man, goodness gracious. She tries in the most um, unobtrusive kind of way. Uh, so, Chris, uh, have you found anybody? Have you met a nice lady at all yet? I'm like, Mama, give a brother a break. My goodness. Get off my back. And then you have, you know, the folks who are a little more aggressive. You have the folks who will literally just walk up to you and say, all right, when are you going to get married and have some kids? I'm thinking to myself, well, let me just pull a wife and a baby with infamil out of my back pocket. Let me, let, me just, let me just pull them out real quick for you. It makes it a little difficult at times. I know y'all single folks have experienced some of that. Um, but even in the midst of that, Paul says, set your, set your mind not on the things of this world, but on the things that are above, the things that are eternal. Even in the midst of the pressures of others, this doesn't come easy. That's why Paul uses repetition over and over again. He's repeating himself about this. And I'm not saying the desire again for marriage is wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is when we're consumed by those desires, when we're consumed by those temporary desires over the eternal desires, things can go very wrong. When we're consumed by them, when I'm consumed with this eternal uh, thing that, that Jesus knows me deeper than anyone else will ever know me, then I'm on the right path. When I'm consumed in a Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 kind of way, that I trust in the Lord with all my heart and I lean not on my, on my own understanding, but in all of my ways I acknowledge Him and I trust that He will direct my path. When that's my, my goal, I'll be alright. When that's my goal, I'm in a good place. One of the problems in singleness is that we wrestle with our loneliness. We wrestle with our physical drive, you know what I mean. We wrestle with the struggle of singleness. We do it alone. That's one of the problems that we have. See, we were not meant to exist alone. Even Jesus had Peter, James, and John with him in his best times and in his worst time. If you notice, Paul, a single man, wrote um, the, the majority of the New Testament. He was always writing to his brothers in the faith, Send so-and-so to be with me. He did not exist alone. He was not persecuted alone. He did not go through hardships alone. And that's you and I. That's our struggle this morning. Our fight ought to be to not go through our singleness alone, but to latch on to some folks who we can trust. Some folks who are going to pray for us. Some folks who are going to encourage us uh, in those nights where we just feel alone and we feel like we really want somebody to be present with us, but there's nobody there. That's when we need one another. That's when we need the body of Christ. You were not meant to exist alone. I love what the great German pastor Diedrich Bonhoeffer said. Listen to this. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. 
The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. Visitor and visited in loneliness recognize in each other the Christ who is present in the body. They receive and meet each other as one meets the Lord in reverence, humility, Enjoy. It is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. Do you see what Bonhoeffer is saying? He's saying that you are not meant to exist alone. You will never do singleness well in isolation. Hear me now. You will never. Do singleness well in isolation. Lastly, in singleness, there is no greater satisfaction than undivided devotion to the Lord. Look at verse 32 with me. Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about the worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, get this, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. See, the blessing of singleness is that the unmarried person is able to set himself apart more exclusively for the work of the Lord. The unmarried person has the freedom to have undivided devotion to the Lord. Why? Because the married man is concerned with pleasing his wife. Or, get this, what pleasing means there is winning the favor of his wife. The the married woman is more concerned with pleasing or winning the favor of her husband. While the unmarried man, the unmarried woman, has the potential and the freedom to, to win the favor of the Lord through what He has already done on the cross for them. See, there's more freedom there to be devoted, completely devoted to the Lord. What God really wants is devotion. What He really wants is that you would be satisfied in Him above anything else. You might say, what what exactly do you mean by devotion? Total obedience. That's what He really wants. He really wants your obedience as a single person. That's what He wants. That you would be uh, satisfied in Him. As Moses prayed in Psalm 90. That as a single person, that your true joy would be Jesus. That you would be satisfied in Him. That He would be sufficient. That He would be enough for us. That's what Paul is saying here. You might say, can I have both? Can I be committed to the Lord and married? Paul would say to that, yes you can. But he would also say to the single person, there is a greater potential to be exclusively dedicated to the purposes of God as a single person. 
you have that freedom. Ultimately, Paul's message to singles is that they not rush past the blessing of singleness, the blessing of undivided devotion to Jesus. When I was in seminary, I just remember um, being in class and watching these men who I sat next to in class. And it blew my mind because I'd be sitting next to guys who were full-time students, who were full-time pastors of churches, who were full-time dads and full-time husbands. And I could barely get through Greek. I was, I was pulling my hair out, like praying every night, studying four and five hours of, a, a, a day when I was taking Greek. And here these guys are, married men, dads of multiple children, pastors of churches, and full-time students. And it would blow my mind. But then it will hit me. Some days we'd be in class, and I'd see those same married men sitting, paying attention attentively, but every so often they doze off. <laughs> they kind of nod off a little bit. Every so often. I remember I had a prof. Uh, we walked in class. It was on the first day. He passed out the syllabus. And uh, he gave us instructions. And in those instructions, he said, I want to say something to the married men. Married men, if you get an A in my class, something's wrong. And I was blown away, but it began to make more sense. What he was really saying is, married men, your attention is divided. He's saying what Paul is saying. He's saying, married men, your job is to please your wife. Yes, it's to please the Lord as well. But ultimately, you are working to please, to win the favor of your wife. While the single man, you better get an A. <laughs> you, you, you have no excuse, unless it's Greek. <clears throat> but you better get an A. You have no excuse. But what Paul is saying here is that the blessing in singleness is for the potential to be completely devoted. Take the mission trip. Uh, do, do whatever you desire to do for the glory of God. Because you have the freedom in singleness. Don't pass that by. Don't pass that by looking to the next season. Waiting and rushing to the next season. Right now in this season, be completely, undividedly devoted to our Lord and Savior. That's your challenge. That you may know Him deeply. That you may be satisfied in Him deeply. Let me just say this. If you are a man or a woman, I want to speak candidly, and you are struggling with lust or your flesh is out of control, maybe you're sleeping around, marriage is not your solution. Let me tell you, marriage is not your solution. Uh, marriage is not to be used to fix your problems. Marriage, Paul would say, is ordained by God. It's a holy union. It's supposed to model the beauty of Christ's relationship with His church. It's not to fix your problems. If that's your struggle, what Paul is not saying, as some tend to interpret it, is yet yeah, to fix your lust issues 
If you're burning with passion, you need to get married. That's not what he's saying. Yes, he's saying that marriage um, has a component in it where you can enjoy your wife. Yes, you can enjoy your husband. But it is not to fix your problems. Jesus wants devotion. He wants us to be completely and completely and truly devoted to Him. Let me just say this. Many of us as singles, we're ready to mingle, right? We're tired of being single. We're tired of being lonely. We're ready to mingle. We're ready to devote ourselves to somebody else. But we don't want to spend the time devoting ourselves to the Lord. We're ready to invest in somebody else, maybe even spend money on somebody else, to give our time and all of our energy to somebody else. Yes, we're ready to mingle, but we ain't ready to be devoted to Jesus. What Paul is saying is, what I'm calling you to is total devotion to the Lord. I'm not devaluing marriage, not one bit, but what I am saying is I'm holding up singleness to let you know the freedom that is in singleness and the blessing of singleness that you may be completely and totally devoted to our Lord and Savior. That you may be satisfied in Him. That He may be enough for you. That you may not be walking around in this temporary world looking for anything else to satisfy you aside from Jesus' death, His burial, and His resurrection from the grave. That's what satisfies His gospel. See, you don't have to work for acceptance because the finished work on the cross says you are already accepted and approved even as a single person. So what Paul is saying is, would you be devoted to Him? Would you believe completely in the gospel, the gospel that says Jesus died for you when you did not deserve it? When you were His enemy, He died for you. And what Paul is reeling us in on is those realities that we should put our whole heart, our whole faith, all of our trust In Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are good. Thank you that you care about us as singles, God. Thank you, Father, that you haven't left us to fend for ourselves, but you're with us. You're a personal God. And so, Father, I pray for our singles. I pray over them. I pray that you would allow them to be satisfied in you. I pray, Father, that our singles would find contentment in this season, that they would go to work in this season, that they would pursue you and others in this season before their attention is divided, O oh God. So help us, help us, Lord, to walk out this season of singleness well and not try to skip past it, but to see the blessing of singleness because it is not a curse. And we thank you, Jesus. Now, Father, we pray that you would bless these gifts that we're about to receive for the, for the furthering of your kingdom. Father, may you multiply them. And may people come to know you, O oh God. May your name be great and your fame be made known in this city, in this church, in our hearts, 
in our homes, in our lives, because of what you've already done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.